0: Joy is supposed to be the normal emotion, the normal steady state emotion of the Christian life. Joy and peace, happiness, a sense of well-being is your normal in the kingdom. If it's not, something's wrong. If joy is not your normal, something's wrong. Something's wrong. There's different ways you can kill a plant. You can kill a plant by like actively, aggressively going after the plant, stomping on it. You know, pulling it up by the roots and burning it. But there's other ways you can kill a plant. You can kill a plant not just by what you do to it, but by what you don't do for it. What are some things that will kill a plant if you don't do them for it? No water. What happens if you don't water the plant? It'll wither up first, won't it? What happens if you keep the plant in the dark? It'll sneeze, right Zion? Good, good call, good call. (laughs) It's a good point. You have a good point. It'll get sick. Remind me to give that boy a haircut. What about the soil? It's got to have the right nutrients, to quote uh, Nacho, uh, what is that? Is that Nacho Libre? You give me no nutrients. You give me no eagle powers. Sorry, get off point. Get back on the sermon. So joy is supposed to be the, the, normal, the normal state that the believer in Jesus lives in because we're, we're, we're designed, we're designed. This is, this is like when you were born, you were a newborn baby. You're pre, you can't speak yet. You can't understand language yet. But you know what you can understand as a newborn? You can understand smiles. You can understand. In fact, you're designed with an innate thirst for comfort, for milk, duh. You want to be touched, you want to be held, and you want to be smiled at. And if you don't get those things, if you don't get those things, it can permanently affect your psychological development. A baby can drink eight hours of smiling eye contact per day. Eight hours before they get overwhelmed and need to look away. Eight hours. And did you know that adults, adults, we might not remember, we might not notice, we might not admit it, but the first thing you, you do when you come into any room where there's people, the first thing you do, I'm not saying you think about it in your... You are are looking around the room, any room you enter, and you are asking the question, is anyone happy to see me? Same question a baby wants to know when they enter the world. Am I a problem? Am I safe? Am I loved? Am I wanted? That's your question every day in every room you ever walked into. Am I wanted? Am I safe? Does anyone love me? Or am I a problem? And some of us, we have not learned capacity to receive that kind of smile, that kind of love. At a deep level, we've, we've been wounded. Life has wounded us, and when life wounds us, the enemy of our souls has come in and planted lies in those areas. And then we now relate to the world differently than we're meant to, and joy is not our steady natural condition anymore. And so then we come to God and he says, I love you. And we say, okay, well, what can I do to keep you happy with me? Because every other relationship I've ever been in only lasts as long as I please them. If I'm not meeting their needs, if I'm not about them, if I don't make them happy, they'll stop loving me and they'll turn off, shut down, back away, or punish, or whatever it is. Because that's what life's taught us. And so we bring that stuff into our walk with God. And many of us don't know That when we come into the presence of God, He's smiling at us. He's happy to see us. He doesn't value us for what we do for Him. He actually wants us, enjoys us, likes us, loves us. The other day I was talking to Jesus and and He said, You know how I'm always joyful? I said, Yeah. He said, You notice when you come into my presence, I'm always joyful, I'm always happy, I'm always calm. And I said, yeah. And he said, do you know why I am that way? I said, well, maybe because you see the big picture. You see the end. And he goes, "Mm mm-mm. The father sees the big picture. I see the father. It's like being a little kid. When you go through something really hard, you're looking at the situation that's scary, and you're like, oh my word. And then to see how you're supposed to feel about it, who do you look at? Oh, he's fine. Then I guess I'm fine too. It's okay. So Jesus, why are you always happy? Why are you always calm? Why are you not freaking out right now? Why are you not in a crisis? Why are you smiling at me? Why are you always so calm? Did you know the real you is the joyful you? You get 30 IQ points dumber as soon as you're not happy. <laughs> That's an exaggeration. You're not. <laughs> I don't know how to quantify the exact level of dumb you become when you're not joyful, but it's true. Your brain stops solving problems efficiently. When you're anxious, when you're upset, when you're angry, when you're depressed, when you're lonely, when you're in a fear condition, when your brain is all jacked up on cortisol and stress hormones and just chemicals flowing through your whole bloodstream and you become agitated and defensive and attacking and negative, worried about the future and obsessed with what went wrong in the past and whose fault it is and how to fix it, you are not your best self. In John 15, 9, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, and if you remain in my love, you'll bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. I think it's kind of important for us to actually ask the question, how how much love does the Father have for the Son? What kind of affection must God the Father have for Jesus? Like, my atheist friends say, There used to be a time when there was nothing, or there was matter, but it was disorganized matter. It was cold, empty, nothingness. And then there was a big bang, and now there's something. It's kind of a happy accident that we're here. It's statistically improbable to the point where it's almost impossible, but we won't be here soon. So if you don't like life, have no fear, it'll go away. In fact, everything will go away and dissipate, and eventually the universe will become Disorderly, cold nothingness again, so take heart. Nothing matters. You'll be dead soon, and you won't know the end. Why would you be afraid of death, says Ricky Gervais. Being dead is like being stupid. It only hurts everyone else. You don't even know. I thought that was pretty funny when he said that. But the Christians don't believe that everything came from nothing and is headed to nothing and doesn't matter. The Christians believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been so happy and in love forever and that out of the overflow of joy, out of the overflow of love, they just had to share it with somebody. The Bible is a story of the father who wants a family. He wants a family. He wants children. It's the drama of all that goes wrong and gets in the way of the father getting a family. And all the price he pays to get his family back home. That's you and me. But the Christian worldview doesn't say it comes from cold, empty nothingness. There's a little blip in the middle called ouch, and then it goes back to nothingness. That's not the Christian view. The Christian view is joy at the beginning, struggle in the middle, and joy at the end, with love as the foundation that stays for the whole story. And God's not in a bad mood. He's the most happy being that there is in existence. John Wesley calls him the fountain of living waters. And John Wesley says, if you are in an unhappy condition, you are in an unnatural condition because the great creator didn't make anything to be unhappy. He made every creature to be happy in its own way. And if you are unhappy now, you should sigh. You should, you should seek release from it. You should seek to be reunited with the creator where you can drink of the living waters and find your fulfillment and love and joy and peace in him where it's actually found. And C.S. Lewis says our problem's not that we seek our own happiness. That's not our problem. Our problem is that we seek it where it doesn't exist and can't be found. And our problem's we're too easily satisfied. We settle for making mud pies, he calls it, making mud pies in the slums when, when God comes and says, let's go take a holiday at sea. Our problem's not, oh, I want to be happy and I need to surrender that and just obey Jesus. No, our problem is that we're not seeking deep deep, satisfying, overflowing life and joy and recognizing where it is found right. in Him. Like I, this is why I don't understand Christians that are not charismatic. I don't understand any Christian who would not want to experience God personally and emotionally and deeply. That doesn't make any sense to me. I had a professor in college say, I don't really want Jesus to come into my bedroom and talk to me. That's freaking me out. I'm just i okay going to church and singing the songs and going to heaven one day. I'm okay with all that. You can keep your little experiences to yourself. And I was like, bro, what are you talking about? Have you read your Bible? It's normal in the Bible to hear God. It's normal to encounter God. It's normal to seek God and find God. It's normal to know Him and hear His voice and feel His love. It's not normal for the faith to just be up in here. It's normal for it to be here, right here, right here. So it's really important for us to try to calculate how much love must the Father have for Jesus because that's the measure of love. Jesus says, that's how I've loved you, Daniel. That's how I've loved you. He's sinless. Jesus is sinless. He's never done anything wrong. There's nothing in him except loveliness, and the Father loves him more than anything in the whole universe. And Jesus turns to you and says, it's exactly how I've loved you. I've bestowed the level of affection, the depth of affection, the fierce intensity of emotional affection that the Father bestows on the Son of God, the most beautiful, most worthy. I mean, he's, come on. I've loved you that way. He's not loving you how you deserve. He's not loving you how you earn. He's loving you as though you've never sinned and as though there's nothing in you but what is lovely he's bestowed that level of affection on you. And I bet if he loved you that way when you did nothing to earn it, you're probably not going to get to the place where he changes his mind about you. And then he says, remain in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Therefore, remain in my love. And if you remain in my love, you're gonna bear incredible fruit. But if you detach from my love, you'll do nothing. What does he mean, nothing? Does he mean you'll stop doing activities about Jesus? No, you keep right on doing activities about Jesus. You'll still have your prayer time. You'll still read your Bible. You'll still go to church, maybe, 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 maybe not. But when he says you'll do nothing, what does he mean? No activities? No, you'll be plenty of activities. You'll do nothing that has eternal kingdom significance. You'll do nothing that passes the test on the day of the Lord. You'll do nothing that will stand after the fires of judgment because it's appointed to all people to live once, die once, stand before Jesus and have the reality of what we have become exposed completely with no hiding. Amen. And if you remain in my love, I'll form you into my image. It's all relationship where he does all the heavy lifting, but we do have a part to play. And the part we play is remain in his love. We become... Like what we behold. Whatever you contemplate, whatever you meditate on, whatever truth stays here, grows bigger in your understanding until it cuts into who you are and becomes the, the well from which you live. God is the most joyful being that ever existed, and if you stay close enough to Him, the spring, you can't help, but you can't help but get some spray all over you. I remember we, we, we rode that little boat down in the Niagara Falls called the Maid of the Mist. Isn't that fun? Have you ever been there? It's crazy. Very loud. And I don't care what, whether it's a sunny day or a rainy day, it's, it, you're going to get wet. It's nothing but mist and it just collects in your hair. It collects on the, the hairs on your skin, the little hairs that you can't see. They're, they start to collect little droplets and your eyelashes have droplets and your eyebrows have droplets and your grandma has droplets in her mustache. I shouldn't have said that out loud. I shouldn't have said that out loud. But somebody needed to say it. No, I'm just kidding. You can't help but get close. If you get close to the waterfalls, you're gonna get wet. There's just no way around it. Look, I don't care how messed up your childhood is. I don't care who hurts you. I don't care what lies you believe. I don't care how bad it's been. I don't care how sinful you've been. I don't care how addicted you've been. If you get close to God, His love's going to get on you. It's going to affect you. It's going to start to change some things. And if you start listening to Jesus' voice, and by the way, it's your birthright to hear his voice. If you read his book, meditate on his truth, and open your heart to -to heart-to-heart encounter, he'll start to father you. I don't care what kind of dad you had. He'll father you. I don't care what kind of family you had. He'll family you. I don't care what kind of lies you believe about you. He'll speak truth into those things. But you got to get heart first. Not just up here. Come on, man. It's down here. Where did I start? Where did I start the talk? What's the normal condition of the Christian? Joy. So if you're not joyful now, whose presence do you need to get in to get more joyful? Is he upset? Is he in a bad mood? Is he hard to please? Is he grumpy? When you come into the room, does he ask you, what are you doing here? Well, right, do you think you have to be in my presence, boy? No. You ain't prayed enough yet. What are you talking? That's, no, that's not, that's the wrong, that's, a, that's, dude, there's a lot of people, they imagine that's what the Father feels. And because they imagine that's what the Father feels, they come to church to do some earning, they come to prayer to do some earning, but they keep a veil over their heart because they're afraid of what is really in the Father's heart. Uh, yes. Man, that was me as a teenager. Me as a teenager, I knew that I had sin in my life so I didn't dare lift my, the eyes of my heart to actually look God in the face in my prayer times. My prayer times were real, real simple. I'm sorry, you feel mad, I'll try to do better, bye. I had no relationship with God, none. No heart connection at all, none. The devil ate my lunch through my teenage years because I, all I knew was I'm not good enough, he's holy, I'm, 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 not, I'm not okay. And then I went to a heaven's gates, hell's flames thing where they acted out, these people dying, drinking alcohol, getting into a car wreck and going to hell. And these other people prayed the right prayer and did the good things, and then they went to heaven and they made us so sad and tried to get us to the front because we were scared of hell. Bro, I needed I need need inner healing from that ministry. What kind of God tortures people in hell as a way of trying to convince them to receive his love? Not Jesus' father. Hell's real. But God's not torturing people who he's mad at for not obeying a list. Hell's God, hell is actually the reality of God honoring your freedom to say no to him. If all the joy and everything good comes from the Father, and you say, I don't want the Father, what, do you, what are you choosing? You're choosing to walk away from love and peace and life. If it can't be found anywhere but in him, and you don't want it, He's going to honor you. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He respects you, is that He'll honor your choice. I needed inner healing from the ministry those folk did. And then people come forward in prayer and get all scared and sad and try to work real hard for God, like, like the younger son in the parable in Luke 15, who says, "If I just, just let me, I've screwed up my life. Just let me slave for you. Just let me slave for you. And then the church is marking down, 14 people accepted Jesus. Hallelujah. And I'm like, 14 people responded to emotional manipulation and threat of judgment. But heaven's for people who actually love God. And the Bible says we only love him because he first loved us. And so if they didn't have an encounter with his love that opened their hearts to real closeness so they could see him as he is and have fellowship with the reality of who he is, they didn't get saved. They just prayed a prayer. They just got a little religion. And you're thanking thanking your group for putting them into a condition where who knows if they're going to heaven or hell, but I I promise you they don't know the Lord better. You know why I'm so frustrated with that? Because now that I know who God is, false visions of God make me angry. Uh-huh. Yep. They do. Make me jealous for people to know. Because yep. you got a whole group of people, tons of people all over this planet rejecting what they think Christians believe. And they've never even seen the beauty of who God is. Yep. Including Christians, by the way. So when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but if you remain in my love, you're going to bear incredible fruit. It's like he's just laying this out so clear as a bell. Yes, it is. I don't understand it. The, the, the son comes home and he says, just let me slave for you. Just let me earn my place in your family. And the father wants none of it. He'll have none of it. He'll have none of it. He says, you're not going to get a place in my, you're not going to be a problem for me to fix, and you're not going to earn your keep. I don't love you for what you can do for me. I didn't. I didn't create you because I had chores. This is what I thought, man. Growing up, I thought I mow, I sweep out the garage, I weed the garden, I dust, I vacuum. Pretty sure my parents had children because they had work that they needed done, and they were like, they just didn't want to do it. You know, I thought that that must be why we exist. You know, mom would wake me up on Saturday, Tim, you better get out there early before the sun gets too high because it's going to be really hot later and you'll just be weeding in the heat. And I was like, oh, I hate gardens. To this day, to this day, I have issues with weeding in the sun and gardens. We have this, Carl comes and he says, hey, you want me to uh, till your backyard into that garden? No, I don't. Stop. Don't tell my wife. Keep quiet. Go away. Ah, well, I'm going to ask your wife. Carrie, you want, some, you want me to make a garden? Yes, I want 30 tomato plants. 30 tomato plants? Me. Are you going to weed them? Oh, we're going to do it this time, I for sure. No, stop. You're like those people who buy a gym membership. She just got a gym membership. I believe it when I see it. You know, well, you don't have to weed. And I look out there and there's like more weeds than tomatoes, and the plants are like, I'm dying, help me. And then I'm like, fine, and I try, and then I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. Still got the wounds from the childhood. But my point is, I kind of grew up thinking they had us because they needed work done. Some of us really think that. I once had a lady tell me, she said, Tim, when God says an amazing thing to you, when he pours his love on you, The first thing you do is try to go make sure that he didn't waste it. You try to be worth it. You try to make sure you give it away to everyone else around you. You you don't even sit in it for four seconds before your heart instantly gets to work trying to earn your place in his affection. I said, oh, my word, you're so right. The other day, the Lord said to me, stop saying you're not good at receiving my love. Okay, what should I say? He said, You can say, I used to not be good at all at receiving God's love, but I'm getting real good at receiving God's love because I'm the one He loves. And then say, I receive your love. I said, Okay, thank you. All right, I can say that. And he also said, Don't say I'm not a good leader. Okay, what should I say? Say, I didn't always know how to lead well, but Jesus is teaching me how to be an effective leader and he's called me to lead and I'm going to be a good leader, you know? He just says stuff differently, doesn't he? He thinks differently because he knows that if we're going to be, if we're going to change, it's got to go all the way down to here, right down into here, not just up in here. It's got to get way down in here. And to get down in here means I got to get real with him. I got to be real with him. Did you know God only speaks honest? He, he, when you're not being honest, he doesn't even hear you. I don't even hear. What? Hmm? What's that? There's this pastor's wife. She was so bitter at God. She was so angry at God for some stuff that happened. Was it God's fault? No. But she felt like it was. Even though he wasn't wrong, he didn't wrong her, she was harboring resentment against God. And because she knew in her brain, God's not wrong, she invalidated her feelings. But God only speaks honest. If you're up here, speaking out of up here, he's like, mm, I guess we're not going to be real today. I guess, we're not gonna, I guess I'm not going to know you today. you got a veil. It's like when me and my wife, and I'm like, are you mad at me? No, I'm not mad at you. What's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Something ain't right because you ain't even looking at me. You know what I'm talking about? Is it okay if I pick on you? And I mean, I, I love this one. I want connection. So if, if her eyes and my eyes aren't meeting, right? Because when, when, like, we are in love still. Like You know what I'm saying? Like, it's It's good. It's real good. So I can tell, even when she hasn't been honest with herself yet, I can tell. What's wrong? Nothing. Why aren't you looking at me? Nothing. Stop. Nothing's wrong. I'm trying to talk to you and you're not looking at me. There's something going on here. One surefire way is if I try to kiss her and she's like, meh. Okay. Okay. Oh, I did something. Something happened. And God wants that connection. He wants that connection. And so there's this pastor's wife, furious with God, but not admitting it. No, nope, I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm-mm, nope. Finally, she started to get honest. I'm so hurt, actually. I feel, it, 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 what happens is you feel distant. I feel distant from God. I feel so distant from God. I don't know why. I pray. I, I serve. I do all the stuff. but I feel so distant from God. Well, are you being real, though? Is there, is there stuff here? Are you being, you're really connecting? He speaks honest. This woman finally admitted that she was angry at God. And the guy said, can you talk to God about your anger? Dude, before long, she was literally screaming at God, I hate you. Yeah, you didn't like that, did you? And you know what happened? It broke. She got it out. And she and God reconnected. And then it was on fire again. Because God speaks honest. He wants heart-to-heart connection with you. He'd rather walk, walk right into the mess and connect with you than you clean the mess and keep everything down and play the Christian. I say this all the time. If I say, who do you need to forgive? People go, oh, no, I one. I don't forgive everyone. I love everyone because I'm a believer. And then I say, who hurt you? And you got a list. And it's a trick question because it's the same question. I still get intimidated when people tell me too early in the relationship that they love me. The other day, a friend of mine that I've only known like a few months said, I love you. Actually, that happened two times recently. And this is so lame, Eric. I responded by clicking, holding down his text and clicking the shocked emoji instead of saying back, I love you too, dude. Because I was too freaked out. Bro, I've known you like... Online, and I met you once in person. You can't go there yet. I'm scared. And I was like, Why am I so uncomfortable receiving his love? Actually, two different dudes. And I said, The one guy, uh, he's like, I love you, Tim. And I was like, I'm uncomfortable. That's what I literally said out loud. I'm uncomfortable with this. And he goes, Good. And I thought later, why am I uncomfortable receiving his love? Because he doesn't know me well enough yet. And I don't know if I'll be able to live up to his expectations. Do you relate in any way to that? Yes, It's It's not his issue is what you're saying. It's Tim's issue. issue. So what you're saying is I have issues? I guarantee you I do. It's layers off the onion as long as we live, isn't it? We're, there's always more to grow into with Jesus. I don't care how close you are. There's more. I don't care how free you just got recently. There's more freedom, Jonathan. There's more. Oh, yeah. Man, you had such a good encounter with God on Wednesday. That was fun. We're not done. We're seven or seven or <laughs> 77. Number 77 on your back. We had a good time. Yep. Uh, skip, 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 skip. Okay. Moses' face glowing. Moses went up the mountain of the Lord. Exodus 33. And it says, he met with the Lord. I'll just read it to you. I'm sorry, Exodus 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets, he didn't know his face was glowing because he had spoken with the Lord. Moses didn't know. Exodus 34, what is the verse? 29. Moses, when he came down the mountain, he didn't know his face was glowing because he had spoken with the Lord. It says, whenever he went into God's presence, he took the veil off because they were freaked out. The people were like, ah! And so in order to not freak the people out, he put a veil on. But when he went into the presence of God, he took the veil off. God, hear me now. He was unveiled before the Lord. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, we, we, we Christians, we, when we turn to Jesus... It's like the veil that that makes the Bible impossible to understand comes off and we see in Jesus the heart of God. For the first time, the meaning of the book comes open. We go, we see the the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus. The glory, glory just means beauty. We see the beauty of the Lord, the radiance, the glow of the Lord in Jesus' face. And he says, we, 2 Corinthians 3, we with unveiled faces. Well, obviously he's not talking about literal Veils we put on. What does he mean? Everything I've just been telling you. Getting real. Unguarded. Unveiled. Not, not blocking the Lord. Not stiff-arming him. Not looking away. Not pretending. No fake. No pretense. Not being religious. Not, pl- not doing our duty. Not praying how we should pray. Praying how we actually honestly can pray. We with unveiled faces are looking at Jesus, and then we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. This sermon is called The Shining Face of God. The priests in the Old Testament, Aaron's sons, they were told to proclaim something over God's people. Do you remember what it is? We sing it in here. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Why does he say face twice? Isn't that interesting? The whole thing, the whole blessing, the whole birthright of covenant is to be face to face with God. That's the birthright of what it is to be in covenant with God. It's what he bought us for, it's what he redeemed us into. People be talking about what God saved us from. What about what God saved us for? You know? Forgiveness is just a means to an end of something great. There's people whose whole gospel is focused on sin and hell. Instead of fellowship and life, what we were made for, fulfilling the reason we were born. You were born as a little newborn infant into this world, and there was one thing you needed from your parents. You needed to see their smiling eyes. And you were born again into one thing. I need this face-to-face with my, with my father. Hard, 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 to like, hard to get away from this. What's on his face? I'm telling you, when I first had an inner healing prayer session and they had me ask the question, I know that you've, you've heard me talk about this. They said, ask the father how he sees you. And I was like, oh no, was braced I was braced for a grumpy, hard-to-please frown. Are you cold? You've are you cold? I'm ready to break out in a sweat. <laughs> the Aaron sons, they're told, "This is the blessing. This is where life is from and this is what life is for and this is the place. This is the steady state of faith. The Lord's smile his smiling eyes, his shining face, and you look into that smiling face, his shining face, because shining is just means joyful, and, and you realize you don't exist to get a bunch of work done for him. You're just there to be wanted. He actually just values you. You're not a problem to be fixed. You're not a problem to be fixed. You're not an interruption. You're loved. You're valued. You're treasured. You're wanted. And, and, I, and you go, oh, well, come on, man. Like I'm uncomfortable with that. I was uncomfortable with that, too, when I was immature. You call me immature? Yes, I am. And unhealthy. And there's upgrades. When I first met Jesus, there was a chapter in this theology book I was reading called The Sons of God. And it was all about the father's adopting love for his children. And the guy went on and on, and it was so mushy and and I was like, ugh, I like the chapter better where God's holy and he burns people alive for being yucky. Yeah. That made me happy because it was like an old Western and the bad guys got killed. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's what I liked when I first got saved. Give me that old school, yeah, six shooter, like coming into the bar, one, one dude against 10. And they make one wrong move. Denzel Washington just takes them all out. I love Denzel Washington. He's the best. And so I didn't like this theme of God the Father loving us. You know, it turned into the most precious, life-changing, transformative, powerful reality that I learned. Sometimes the truth that sets us free offends us and annoys us first. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the truth that sets us free annoys and offends us first. You know, the Bible says there's something that is your strength. you know what it is? Oh, you know it. Could you do me a favor? Could you spend time every single day out loud thanking God Yes. and get rid of your prayer list of needs? Just get rid of it. Yes. Those needs, are, you'll be fine. It'll be all right. The world won't end if you get rid of your list of needs and problems. Just thank him for who he is in your life. Spend 10 minutes just talking to him, saying, God, I thank you, and then fill in the blank with whatever comes out next. God, I thank you that, and just let let gratitude swell up in you until joy and his smile and the goodness that you have in him and through him, let that become your home base till your heart learns some of these capacities that were maybe robbed from you as a child. I don't know. Or maybe robbed from you through a season of 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 Tragedy. I don't know, but we've been schooled in the wrong home, right? We've been homeschooled in the wrong home. Ephesians 2 says that. All of us, we belong to the devil. We were actually following demonic powers that rule the whole earth right now. But now we've been been brought back. We were in the kingdom of darkness. We've been brought back into the kingdom of light. Now we have full access to the Father, unbroken, unbroken communion, unbroken communion and fellowship. We're in Genesis 2, guys. And now we're not under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not judging ourselves, God, and others anymore. We're we're stripping that off. We're coming back into the unearnable brightness of the Father's smile. Some of y'all are sad right now because you're thinking of some people who need this message. And you're right to be sad. Pray for them. Picture Jesus filling their heart. Picture Jesus touching them. Picture Jesus' smiling eyes healing their deep wounds. Somebody's like, you know, how do, I get, how do I get hope to hope? How do I get to joy? How, how, do I, how do I get to faith? I should fix myself. I should stop believing those lies. And I'm like, it's not you fixing yourself. It's not you fixing yourself. It's not you repairing yourself. It's not you choosing to believe truth. It's you having a relationship with Jesus. And over time, his love builds hope. His love builds trust in him. You begin to believe Jesus. You begin to believe what he says. You begin to even believe what he says about you. Sometimes it's easier to believe God's love for others than it is to believe God's love for ourselves. But as we learn to trust him, we believe him. And we begin to even bear the trial of our own self and our inadequacies serenely under God's mercy. Because you know, sometimes it is a trial to just be human who has weaknesses. Like... Bernard's four loves, love of self for the sake of self, and then we graduate to love of God for the sake of self, and then we graduate to love of God for the sake of God, and then the shocking surprise twist ending, love of self for the sake of God, where it's, no, it's not even selfish, it's actually just faith. You're humble enough to agree with God's assessment of you. We actually go, I am worth the blood of Jesus, and I have value, and it's good that I'm alive. And it's good that I'm in this room. And anyone who disagrees with that is just wrong. You don't have to like me, because I know who I am. But I love you. And then you're free. Now you're not, now you're not only doing as well as the weakness around you. Because if, ha- if we don't have joy, it's not, a, it's not my wife's fault if I don't have joy. It's not my kid's fault if I don't have joy. They don't have the authority to make me angry. It's always an inside job, right. It is. right? The devil can't push your buttons. If you have, if if you have buttons, it's not his fault. <laughs> Let Jesus twist up the devil's thing, right? Yes. This is what we were talking about the other night. Some of us are really aware of what the enemy has been speaking to us. If I if I asked you right now to put down two lies on a piece of paper of what the enemy has been trying to plant in your mind, most of you would know it. You would know what those were. Yeah. Uh-huh. And all you got to then do is take those to Jesus and say, "Where did I learn? Where did these become an access to my heart?" And he'll show you. He'll show you when you started having that weak spot in your armor. What the wound was that gave access to the lie. He'll show you. And then you'll get rid of those buttons. You don't need the devil to shut up. Let him help you. That's flipped, right? Tim, I just need the devil to stop talking to me. Maybe we should figure out why he's able to push your buttons and get rid of the buttons. So, three challenges. Number one, upgrade our vision of, of God. Upgrade our vision of God. And spend time every day letting God's joyful smile saturate you with his love. That's assignment number one. Assignment number two genuinely smile at the people who live in your house. Genuinely smile. Be happy to see the people in your house. Communicate to the people in your house. I am glad you exist. You are a blessing to me. That's so powerful. Okay, that's assignment two. Assignment one, upgrade your vision of God and spend time with a smile. Assignment two, smile from the heart and mean it at the people who live in your house so that they feel the value you have for them. Assignment number three, do this to people who don't live in your house. Your server, your mailman, the people at the store. Right, right. Let your face not be, like when you greet people, don't, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> oh, pretty bad. Oh, <laughs> <dip>. mm-hmm. <laughs> Bro, how you doing? All <laughs> oh, right, all right. Well, I can tell you're not not doing great. Adam would say, how's your prayer life going? Not good. Yeah, I know. I can tell by looking at you. You know what's crazy? Here's the crazy thing. When you and I spend time in the presence of God, we start to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And when we don't, dude, I'm like... I was crying the other day saying to my wife, I missed one day this week of, of spending time with God in the morning. Instead, I spent time in the afternoon after I had already been in the flesh. I thought I had more capacity that I could go like more than 24 hours without leaking it all out. I'm just still grumpy and hard to be with. And she just listened. I'm like, am I so grumpy that I have to be every day in the morning, first thing, get like actually choose to get in the spirit? And she said, it's called manna. I'm like, oh, that's a good point. Do you, know you know the story of the manna? Yep. They didn't have food. God gave them food supernaturally, but they had to go get it every morning. Yeah. To 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 up your Putting on Jesus, getting, getting with the one who has the fruit so that I can actually not be the jerk that I am when I'm in the flesh. But yeah, so three challenges. Upgrade your vision, smile, and be happy to see the people who live in your house. And then number three, greet people outside of your house with this kind of affectionate, yes. smiling, joyful countenance that affirms their value. It's, it's, it'll freak them out, especially if you start speaking life over them. Hey, it is so good to meet you. Yeah. And then like tell them good things about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And again, start at home because it's always hardest at home. I'm just pointing that out. That's my parenting advice that someone gave me the other day. Be fully emotionally present and happy to see them. And I said, what else? And he's like, just work on that. (laughs) And then we'll get back to more things later when you get that. But I, yeah, okay. Now close the sermon. Stanley or whoever's coming up here. Because I'm still talking and it's 1201. And I can feel in my body that I'm done. There's this. Perfect.
1: Okay, so me and Tim was on the phone the other day, and we were talking, and we was having a good time. And the Holy Spirit just, just when I got off the phone with him, I was an absolute, just Holy Spirit wreck for like an hour and a half at my at my house. So that's good. And um, so so he said. If you can do one thing, pray and see if the Lord gives you a word for for Gateway tomorrow morning. And and he did. So I spent the rest of that hour and a half just soaking in God's presence and but what he showed me, it's funny because I was sitting right where I was sitting about a year ago and he brought me back to this thing that he was doing. And he said like he sh- like I would literally feel the whole room shake. And I did not understand that for until until last night, and the Lord said, "I will shake everything that can be shaken," and He is shaking Gateway to the core, and He did that for a reason, and he, and because He wanted to rebuild Gateway, so He had to shake it to the core, and and do some things, and rebuild, and He's been rebuilding. And he's building, and he's going to continue to build on what he's been building. And, you know, so he just he just told me the, that we've been in a, real, a rebuilding process, and the structure is getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And there's not going to be very many things that can knock us down because of his, because of his strength. So that's the word... That the Lord gave to me um, last night, so I just wanted to deliver that, and um, you know, so and um, I got two things that the Lord also gave me. Uh, I got a quadricep. Um, I don't know if anybody's got a problem with quadricep, but but if you do, I I want you to come. Um, and also. Um, uh, he actually gave me two people that I'm supposed to pray for. So Danielle, before you leave here, you're supposed to come here. And and uh and Linda, you're supposed to come, come to me. So, um and and uh but that's that's all I got. So all right. So whoever wants to come get this thing can come get it. What else? Quadricep and what? Quadricep, Linda, Danielle, and I got a testimony real quick too. So, um, last week I was praying for ears and, um, so Tom, uh, come and looked at our car the other, the other night and, um, and I prayed for his ear because he had some muffling and stuff going on with it. And I said, I said, how's your ear? He said, my ear's doing great. He said, I haven't had a problem hearing out of it. It, it hasn't been muffled, anything of that nature, you know, so, so, uh, So, you know, God basically healed his ear, so, um, but that's what I got, so. If anybody wants to come up here for a prayer team, they they can come, so.